When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavours, and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, but also getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. You can find the link to our playlist in the show notes. Welcome to episode 58. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Liam Cooper. The Sydney singer-songwriter has just released his brand new single, entitled Another Lonely Night. In today's episode, we're talking with Liam about the new single, the importance of arts in schools, and his return to writing after a lengthy break. Here we go. Our guest today is an independent artist who is making their return to original music after almost a decade. He's following up his fantastic Out of the Blue single with a new track today, entitled Another Lonely Night. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Liam Cooper. Good afternoon. How are we? Simon, so good to be here, man. I'm well, thank you. I really appreciate having me on the show. Of course. No, thank you very much. Uh, Where are you joining us from this afternoon? I am joining you from Wollongong, so about an hour and a half south of Sydney. We've just entered lockdown, which we were just discussing briefly before hitting record. (laughs) So I've been to the shops and uh, got food for the week, and hopefully we can just uh, hunker down and, and work from home. That's very fair. Um, Do you find that when you're at home, being able to kind of stay in that um, space, that you are more susceptible to being creative if you weren't at home, if you were outside and able to kind of move around? Yeah, great question. I guess for me, I've been relatively independent and working from home for a little while. Um, Pre-COVID, I was working as a cruise ship guest entertainer. So I was kind of flying around the world and joining cruise ships and doing my show and having a lot of downtime and a lot of time on my own. Uh, And then even into COVID, obviously with lockdowns happening um, and working from home, I've kind of got the hang of being productive and working on my own time, I guess, and my own schedule and setting all that. Um, so it, it kind of at the moment, it's it's relatively normal. But I guess the thing that you've asked about is creativity. And I think that's the, the real difficult thing, uh, being in the same space every day uh, and not really seeing too many people. And even just having things disrupted like, um, you know, live shows and, uh, and my work and my wife's work, um, you know, there were people during lockdown, I remember, um, there was a real energy around, oh, well, we've got all this time at home, so let's be creative (laughs) and instantly kind of, you know, write songs and switch on. And um, I think what was underestimated there is that it takes a lot of um, inspiration and a good headspace and everything else in your life to be going relatively okay or securely for you to actually be um, free to create and inspired to create. 
So um, I guess in one sense, it would be better if everything was normal to be more creative rather than everything kind of thrown out uh, and trying to be creative in a time or a place where you're not normally creative or don't have the time to be creative. Um, so yeah, it, it can be a little bit difficult, I guess. I think we've found like um, a bit of a weird, not even weird divide, but just a divide there. Um, have been some guests that found during lockdown that they, after like an initial little bump, found it wildly creative and like, you know, banged out two albums and then some who, gosh, who was it? There's, there's been a handful that have kind of been like, I tried and tried and like pushed and it just felt that, and this might've been around like the first start of the lock, like the, from March to June or so last year when everyone was still learning about it. But um, we had, yeah, a good portion of artists kind of be like, why would I want to create when there are so many more like vastly important things going on outside in the world at the moment? Yeah, it's a super difficult balance. Um, for me, I, I mean, it wasn't all that bad. The EP that's coming out in the next few months and the tracks that I'm releasing at the moment were all recorded, uh, what, in September, October, November 2020 and then through into early this year. So, you know, I was creative in one sense. It did give me the time to actually um, record and produce this EP Whereas if I was doing regular work, which pre-COVID was um, working on cruise ships, um, I wouldn't have had that that space or that creativity, I guess, um, or time to be kind of in and out of the studio. So it was nice to have that. And then the songs that I recorded, uh, a few of them were written or half written um, pre-COVID. So um, I was at least able to meet up with a couple of uh, songwriters and uh, and really work hard with my producer, um, Sean Kerry, and get everything together. So, you know, at the same time of it not being, I felt, I kind of felt like I wasn't creative, but at the end of the day, I was. <laughs> That's very fair. I can <laughs> I think it, um, yeah, allowed time to... Be creative without having to be creative, if that kind of makes sense. But yeah, of uh, course. The EP that you're referring to, Lonely Nights, um, it is coming out, I believe, in August. Please correct me if I'm. Um, September, I think, at this stage. Um, I mean, look, everything's flexible. It could be August. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the way that I've pl- planned it is, uh, you know, I've got these tracks as an EP, um, of course, in today's um, music landscape, especially for a, an unknown artist. It's really about singles um, and um, qu- uh, quantity, I guess, in terms of pumping out regular music rather than just dropping a body of work. So um, for me, I've taken this EP and split up the tracks into singles. So I released Out of the Blue, which was the first single from the EP about six weeks ago. Um, Today, actually, Another Lonely Night is the second single, which has just dropped uh, in about six weeks. I'll do a third single. And then about six weeks after that, I'll then release the EP that will have those three singles plus two extra songs on it. Um, And then people will be able to embrace that whole um, body of work as the the five songs on that EP. But uh, yeah, I'm just kind of winging it. Like it's not like they've been submitted by my distributor to Spotify or anything. So uh, you know what? It could be August, could be September. I could drag <laughs> it out and make it go to 2022. Who knows? <laughs> it would be a shame if you did drag it out because I think that people are kind of trumping at the bit to, uh, to hear these songs as we discussed just before recording. Out of the Blue is an insanely catchy single. 
um, and we'll make sure that there are show notes in the podcast for anyone who hasn't heard it yet or so they can listen to um, your music. The single that's come out today, Another Lonely Night, is another great song. I'm curious because this is the first original music that we've gotten from you in quite a period of time, I think in 10 to 12 years. What was it that, as you said, you're performing um, as an entertainer, what brought you back to to your own songs, to songwriting? What brought me back? I didn't know where you were going to go with that question. I didn't know whether it was going to be like, <laughs> why did it take so long? Or how did you get here? But I like that angle of what brought me back. Um, I think uh, I keep talking about cruising. I, I kind of like like talking about it, but then I hate talking about it because I feel like I'm this cruise guest entertainer and that's my label, <laughs> nothing else. So I don't want to end up like that. Um, but anyway, while I was doing that, I had left uh, a, a nine to five jobs, uh, which was obviously unsustainable working um, on a cruise ship. Um, so, uh, I had left that and I wasn't doing, um, like piano bar gigs anymore. So the three hour, um, gigs at pubs, clubs, where I'd sit in the corner and play Billy Joel, John and Beatles, Queen, all the rest of it. Um, so I wasn't doing that kind of two or three nights a week. I wasn't in a nine to five. I was in this cruise ship, uh, guest entertainer. Um, contract by contract role where I would join a ship uh, for five, six days. I'd perform my show right in the middle of that and then leave and then go and join another ship. So there was a lot of downtime, you know. Um, I might be working as in doing my show like once a week uh, or once a fortnight or something like that, but the rest of the time would be spent um, traveling or just waiting around essentially. So um, I guess that is what brought me back to my own music, having the headspace to be creative um, and having no stress around a nine to five or um, playing so frequently during the week cover songs that uh, was almost a job that then sucked the enjoyment out of music, I guess, for me. So having that time and having that space really allowed me to start writing again. And, um, literally I just find myself having, um, lyrics or melodies pop into my head when I would have been not doing anything for so long. Um, and it's just like, well, there was space for that to happen rather than my head being filled with all the other things that go with a nine to five and playing gigs on the side and doing all that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I guess that's it really. There was space for me to be creative again. Was the the show that you were playing on these ships, was that your Kings of the Keys show? Yeah, uh, a show that I had written, um, I guess, out of playing the music of this show for so long in in pubs and clubs. Like that's what I had been doing since um, high school, really. So the last 10 years been playing um, Billy Joel, Elton John, The Beatles, Queen, all these one-hit wonders for piano, like Walking in Memphis, The Way It Is, A Thousand Miles, Drops of Jupiter, <laughs> um, all that great, great material. So I essentially took what I was doing in these background music cover gigs and formatted it into a, a two-act, two-hour theatre-style show where I was playing all these songs but with a, a six, seven-piece band, so rhythm section, horn section. And the real difference was that I was integrating dialogue um, around the songs, who wrote them, why they wrote them, what inspired them to be written, 
and uh, almost giving audiences the opportunity to hear these songs that they have heard so many times before. Like, let's be honest, how many times have you heard, you know, Let It Be or Bohemian Rhapsody or <laughs> Piano Man or I'm Still Standing, all these like iconic 70s piano hits. Um, but the, the, the meaning is kind of lost on a lot of people because it's just all about um, the, the melody and the lyrics and not them really hitting. So um, the moment that I was able to explain to people, well, you know, Let It Be, was uh, a song that Paul McCartney wrote about a dream that he had where his mother came to him in this time of trouble while they were recording the White Album, I think it was. Uh, and his mother in this dream literally said to him, Paul, let it be, um, and gave him these words of wisdom in this time of trouble. And so that's what Paul went ahead and wrote this song about. Uh, and so there's that. And then there's the story of walking in Memphis about Mark Cohn's first time uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, walking down the main street, having this crazy out-of-body experience. Um, piano man, Billy Joel, literally playing at a piano bar in LA after running away from New York because he had a falling <laughs> out with his record label um, and the people that he wrote about in that song were actually people there in the bar at that time. Um, and so, you know, explaining all those little stories and then playing the songs, it's almost as if people are able to hear that music for the very first time because they get that new perspective and that fresh experience. So, that was what uh, I wanted to do to take these songs that I had been playing day in, day out, week in, week out, uh, and elevate them, I guess, and um, and give a, a cover show, because it was still essentially me on stage playing covers, um, take that to a whole new level and something that was going to be a lot more engaging than just playing those songs back to back for two hours. Of course. Uh, imagine I have seen some footage of the, the shows and they are quite incredible. You are quite um, an impressive showman. Uh, in terms of both Thank the you. playing thing, of course. Um, what I'm very curious about, because that is what you're doing, that is your uh, your livelihood uh, for that number of years. And, you know, I feel like regardless of whatever career, uh, like career people are in, your work is like just a, like, um, oh God, what's the word? You go to like autopilot if you're in, hospitality, finance, music, uh, whatever that like, there's this autopilot. I'm curious for you. So you're, you're performing all these songs throughout the day or throughout the night, whenever time they are. And then Mm -hmm. you go to write your own songs. How do you kind of, um, separate the two, if that makes sense? How do you like not go to write your own song? And then you're like, Oh fuck, that's the melody line for piano man or, Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that it's just so that they're almost two vastly different parts of my creative mind. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned that, um, that autopilot idea. Um, you know, it took a while for me, um, doing cruise ships to get to that autopilot stage. Um, but once I was there, it was a really beautiful thing, um, being able to walk out on stage and not really have to think about, the dialogue or the lyric or the move or the audience interaction or whatever it is, uh, and just go for it. And that was, that was really quite magic. Um, but then I, yeah, I guess like switching, um, minds into that creative space for songwriting. Um, I don't know. It just like, it just works. It just happens. Um, maybe because I know the songs so well, I, I subconsciously avoid, um, like accidentally playing bits from them. Um, so there's got to be some sort of separation there. 
um, somehow, but it certainly, it certainly hasn't become an issue where I've been writing something and go, <laughs> you know, oops, I'm automatically playing piano man or something like yeah. that. <laughs> Cause in my mind, I kind of want to stay like as far away from that as possible. Like, even though that's the music that I'm playing, uh, for, for work, I guess, um, there is a bit of enjoyment in there, of course, because I, I love the music, but, um, you know, what I really want to be writing and what I'm inspired by, um, musically is a very different sound. So I guess that probably comes into it as well. Like I'm not trying to write, uh, like a Billy Joel, Elton John, similar sounding song. Um, I've got my ear on all these other artists that really inspire me and that's where I'm trying to, to end up. So I think that's probably also how, um, I distinguish those, those two things, playing the covers and, and writing the originals. That's very fair. I feel like it's almost, um, taking your work home with you. If you do try and have it as like a directly, um, Elton John or Billy Joel influence kind of project. Um, yeah. I'm very curious to know your initial start in music. Cause I know that you've been performing and uh, like singing, playing piano from quite a, a young age. I think the Spice Girls might've had a little bit of an influence <laughs> at a much younger, younger age, but I'm curious when you, when Liam kind of went, yep, cool. I'm going to, this is what I want to do. This is what I, I want to sing. I want to, play music and play the piano. You've had a good dig around my YouTube channel. We try and be (laughs) thorough. We try and be thorough with our research. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Um, Well, look, I started playing piano when I was five um, and I'm now 29 going on 30 this year. So it's been a little while. Um, I started singing when I was in high school. Um, The rest of my music class, I was at a performing arts high school. So the bulk of that class were singers. So me as a pianist, seeing everyone else singing. It was kind of like, I want to have a go at that. Uh, and obviously it made a lot of sense to combine the instrument and vocal together. Uh, so it was a, it was a lot of like, it was a lot of learning and practice and rehearsal in those school years. Um, you know, I didn't just open my mouth in like year nine and start singing. Like I didn't have a voice. I was really bad. Um, it took a lot of work, um, and I still work on it. Um, and so it wasn't like one of those instantly gifted kids that, you know, some people I've like, I've worked, uh, with a lot of kids, uh, teaching music, um, but also as part of, um, Southern stars and school spectacular and talent development project, which are a few New South Wales, um, based performing arts initiatives. And so I've been around, um, a lot of very talented students at times, and some of them have no background, no training, nothing. And they just can sing like, which is incredible. (laughs) I was not one of those people. It took a long time for me to get get there. Um, so anyway, that was kind of all happening through, through high school. I was taking singing lessons and and still taking piano lessons. And then, uh, you know, I released my first EP, um, when I was, I think maybe 17 ish, 17, 18. So, um, yeah, obviously like towards the back end of high school, I started to take the fact that I could play piano and I was now comfortable singing and it just led into starting to write my own music. Um, so that was really the beginning of it there. Um, in terms of where did it start was kind of like late high school after I'd really like got the hang of playing and singing. Did you find it? Um, the, the high school that you went to, sorry, that was a performing arts high school, correct? Correct. Yeah. In terms of, I guess for people who, um, didn't, 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm curious, for a performing arts high school, what is the difference with a regular high school? And then, because I, I, can, I can address that... Um, you might not know, obviously, because you went to a performing arts high school, didn't go to the other. But yeah, what do you feel that you got from that school more so that, say, if you had have done like extracurricular arts at a, at a non-performing arts high school? Mm. Um, great question. This is like throwing me back to think about, you know, what actually <laughs> happened in high school, which was a little while ago now. I'm trying to remember it. I guess the the main difference with the performing arts high school was the opportunities that were presented at a school level. So, you know, we would have had uh, a lot more focus on in terms of like a teaching staff and creative arts department. Um, that would have been bigger with more support there. Uh, I don't know in terms of like financial support either from a school level or like a state school funding level, what the difference is. Um, I imagine there was some additional funding or something because we're performing arts high school. Uh, I feel like really um, inadequate talking about this because I really, as you kind of mentioned, like I don't really know the difference. Um, But uh, I guess like one thing to distinguish though is that um, there were a lot of, of performing arts uh, activities and opportunities that were offered outside of school by um, kind of state level activities. So those two uh, or two of those three um, programs I mentioned before, the Talent Development Project and School Spectacular um, are open to all uh, school students at state schools in New South Wales. So, you know, regardless of whether you're at a performing arts high school or not, you're eligible to um, be part of those kind of activities. So that's kind of why I mentioned before about, you know, at a school level, it would be different, but at a, uh, I guess, a state level being involved in other uh, performing arts activities or programs, it's a little bit different um, because anyone has access to those. Um, But, you know, we had really great facilities at school in terms of, um, uh, you know, music rooms and being able to rehearse in separate spaces and performing arts facilities. I mean, they weren't top-notch. We're talking about Wollongong High School of Performing Arts, not like a massive private school or even one of the Sydney um, Performing Arts High Schools. So it's not like we had amazing facilities, but, you know, as a student, it's great even just have a piano in a room, like you're really, really blessed because you wouldn't have that kind of space um, probably at a non-performing arts high school or there would only be one piano, one room with a piano in it. Um, And so, you know, we had a little bit more flexibility with that. And obviously with the performing arts high school, we're always doing musicals and end of year productions uh, and showcases and other bits and pieces. So obviously there's a real focus on it, um, probably more so than a non-performing arts high school. 
Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, it's kind of difficult to, for me to, um, to contrast one against the other. Of course. You can see why I struggled with, um, how to phrase the question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to circle back. I know we spoke, um, earlier in the conversation about being an independent artist and also me going through your YouTube, uh, to kind of see what I could find, um, mm-hmm. for this, there is, um, some people listening to the podcast might know you as um, the the young Aussie guy who proposed in the cinema as well. I think as of this morning when I checked it, it was around, ele- uh, I want to get this right, 11 million views. Um, 11 mil, yep. 11 mil, uh, not too bad. Um, for yourself, not just YouTube, but being an independent artist and, and having uh, – one thing I was very impressed with, that's a very quick side note, but it does lead into this question. One thing I was impressed with is that all your your socials, the website, the way that um, you yourself have, have packaged yourself, <laughs> um, essentially, uh, it, it does come off quite professionally. And sometimes that does, you know, take a team of people. people there are certain artists that have like a team of people doing all of that. How do you find managing all of that on top of, you know, being the artist and having to juggle it all yourself. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks for all that. That was a really, uh, really beautiful compliment in there. Um, <laughs> I, I guess what you've identified is my background in, in marketing and in digital marketing. Um, pre cruise ship, I worked in a digital marketing agency for five years, um, where we would run social media campaigns for major label artists and independent artists. So I've been lucky enough to always combine my passion and love of music um, with something else I I am genuinely interested in, which is digital marketing uh, and social media. So, um, yeah, having done that for other artists um, for a number of years, it just kind of came as second nature to do it for myself. Um, So, you know, I've been able to to kind of get a, a grip on social media and what works and how to do a, a rollout of, of a single or an EP or any kind of project essentially. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's obviously coming through there, which is quite exciting. Um, in terms of, uh, being an independent artist, um, something that kind of flagged my, in my mind when you were asking that question was, uh, I guess about juggling it all. Um, the difficulty I find is, having to go like put all the multiple hats on, right. Having to go from one part of the project to another. Um, and it kind of comes into, I think, um, back we were talking earlier, um, about, um, being creative and being in lockdown and all that kind of thing. Uh, this kind of kind of wraps it all up, I guess. Uh, I need to say what I'm thinking cause I'm just <laughs> rattling at the moment. What I'm trying to say is that, um, when, you are an independent artist, you're wearing all these different hats. And I feel like you go through different stages of the release cycle and it's difficult to be this part of the artist when you're at this stage. So for example, once you've written the songs, then you move into the studio and you start recording them uh, and you go through that whole creative process of bringing them to life. And then towards the end of that process, um, you're mixing, then you go through mastering and then you start thinking about how you're going to roll it out. So your, your mind kind of goes into a different creative mode around, well, what are we going to do for album art or a video or a visualizer or, um, you know, when are you going to roll out these tracks? And then once you've got that plan in place, it's kind of like, well, cool. Now we've got to go in, out and shoot that content or think about that idea and how we're going to execute it and bring it to life. And then we plan it. And then once you get to the rollout stage, there's a lot of excitement and anxiety around release. <laughs> 
releasing a song. So, you know, how are people going to respond to it and replying to comments and making sure that you're posting, I don't know, every day if possible or multiple times a day. Um, and then the PR hat goes on and then you're trying to reach out to people like yourself who have a podcast to share my music with other people uh, or bloggers or other news outlets uh, or um, brand partnerships. I mean, at the moment, um, it's funny you mentioned Out of the Blue, um, a couple of people have said it'd be a really great song for a wedding video, um, wedding videographers and photographers that are packaging, um, you know, their services for a, a wedding day. Um, they're always looking for royalty free music, um, that they can upload their videos on YouTube or Facebook without being flagged for using copyrighted material and all that kind of thing. So, um, a couple of people have said, you know, out of the blue would be a great song for that. Cause the song is about, um, me kind of falling in love with my best friend and us getting married and, um, and the journey that goes along with that. So, um, I've literally uh, the last week have sent out probably a hundred emails and I plan to send a lot more to all these videographers <laughs> around. Um, Australia, um, but also the world. I've been uh, spamming a couple of uh, uh, videographers in the US too to say, hey, I've got this song that would be perfect for uh, your wedding videos that you make for your clients. Uh, and then essentially trying to set up um, small licensing deals, you know, have them pay a one-off fee of $59 or whatever um, to license the track for that one client's wedding video. Um, and so that hat goes on because I'm always thinking about, well, I've spent so much cash recording this EP. Like yeah. in this day and age, how do we as artists get that back, um, you know, without without this whole thing being a really expensive hobby? So, um, you know, my mind has always, for this project, really been on sync um, and how can I um, make the most out of this music in terms of getting it placed maybe in a, a TV ad campaign or in a small movie or a TV show, um, literally anything. So I feel like this um, this uh, strategy of reaching out to videographers for wedding videos is a, is a small part of that. You know, if I could get like a hundred videographers to license the track for 50 bucks each, uh, that'd go a long way towards paying off, um, you know, studio fees and mastering costs and artwork and uh, all that kind of thing that comes with putting out music. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a tangent off the whole multiple hats thing, um, where I feel like, you know, when I'm in this stage of, of rolling out a single or rolling out, um, an EP or whatever it is, like I'm thinking about, um, what am I posting today? What am I posting tomorrow? What content am I going to use for announcement day? Um, how am I going to reach out to blogs and do all that? And, independent artists are thinking this stuff day in, day out. But I think that's where it becomes difficult to go, well, hey, I'm also going to write a song today. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm feeling really inspired. I've got a lot of headspace. I'm really relaxed. Um, I can go and sit down at the piano for two hours um, and throw around some chords and some ideas and you know, I guess as a, uh, like, there's no reason why I couldn't be doing that and being more disciplined and having practices like, you know, starting the day every day by doing that or putting aside an hour every day to do that. So, you know, I, in, in one sense, I feel like I'm kind of making an excuse for not writing more regularly. Um, but at the same time, there's definitely all those other things hanging over my head about, you know, I'm in this stage of the project now. Uh, I almost feel like once this, once all of these singles plus the EP have rolled out, um, then I'll go, cool what's next? Like maybe I'll have some headspace there to go, well, let's write some more music and let's do it again. But I guess that would be the difference between having, um, you know, a bigger team around you, maybe with some management or label support or publishing support or whatever, um, 
myself as an artist might be able to go, well, cool, here's the music, let's do it, you guys roll it out, you guys sort everything in terms of that um, and, and then that would leave me with the ability to be more creative and have time to do that and really focus on on the product and making great music um, rather than also the marketing and PR and monetization and all that side that goes with it. Yeah, definitely. It's one thing just to touch on, one thing you mentioned, it is, as you said, a musician, especially independent musicians are wearing so many different kind of hats. And, you know, as you said, you're going through the rollout PR, um, everything. And mm. then it's almost, I've found that for a lot of people, even trying to then recoup that money, if you, you've spent not only your hard earned time, but you spent a lot of money of your own recording, mixing, mastering, artwork, mm. you know, putting it out there. And then when you do ask for something back, people, the reception is always very funny. Like why, why would you want to be paid for all that time, effort, all these hats you've worn? It's a very um, frustrating thing to be an artist. Uh, yeah. I even think about it. Movement. Yeah. I even think about it um, in terms of like pre-saving an artist single on Spotify. Um, you know, that makes a huge difference for the artist in terms of, showing Spotify that your fans are excited and keen for the release so that when, uh, you know, on release day, there's all these people immediately have added it to their library uh, and Spotify might go, cool, well, I'll start showing it to more people by putting it in release radar and discover weekly or, um, you know, other algorithmic playlists or, or it might flag editorial placement or whatever. And so, um, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of pre-saves can be really valuable for an artist. Um, and it's something that doesn't cost anything for a, a fan follower to do. Um, but still it's really hard to generate them. Um, you know, and so like, that's almost all that I'm asking in return for, for this music, um, is for people to just pre-save it and listen to it. And sometimes it's really hard to generate even that amount of buzz, you know, when there's not even any cash involved. (laughs) I feel like, yeah, streaming while it has been a very good thing for music in terms of accessibility and, and getting like, you can say, check out my single and people listening to this podcast can go, and, and stream it straight away, which is a fantastic availability mm-hmm. um, for them. But it is also, as you said, like it's um, it's made musicians' lives a lot more difficult in terms of like it's a free thing. It's not difficult to do, but people still yeah, need it. Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse in the truest sense of, of both <laughs> words. Um, I almost feel like the alternative to it these days um, it would be having an email database um, because an email data, like this is the marketer in me coming out, an email <laughs> database is the only, really the only digital audience that you own. Like Facebook owns your Facebook fans. Instagram owns your Instagram followers. Um, Spotify owns your fans on Spotify, Apple Music. So, you know, you either have to pay to reach them or you're at the mercy of those platforms, right? The only thing that you kind of have control of today is like an email database. So, you know, if you were to go away from social media and the um, digital um, streaming platforms and go kind of completely the opposite, I could end up just with an email database and selling them physical CDs that I post to them. Like that would almost be the only way around not using those platforms and being an independent artist um, in a way that you could actually kind of start to monetize the product again in terms of going either back to CDs or um, paying, you know, $9, $10 or whatever for a digital download card or something like that. 
uh, or maybe a piece of artwork that comes with a download code on it. So there's some sort of tangible element, even though it's not a CD as such. Um, but, you know, like that's kind of the only way to, to really think, you know, everything else um, for artists is at the mercy of, of these other platforms, which I said like it, blessing and a curse. Like I would, like we wouldn't have been able to connect. Um, you know, I wouldn't have all these fans in, um, like the U S and the UK and Canada and Mexico and Brazil that are listening to the track. Um, like that would never happen. So it's, you know, it's really exciting, but then at the same time it's, well, you know, how do I make back the cash that it cost me to do this? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, um, as, I don't think I could word it any better. You literally said it before. It's a blessing and a curse in mm. the best mm. of the word. Mm. Um, Liam, would you be happy to talk about the playlist that you sent through? I'd love to. I was very impressed with the playlist. It is Were a you? great, it was a great <laughs> pop playlist in terms of like... I don't feel like current pop, but like pop in in the sense of like great pop songwriting. Yep. 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 Um, I have to, I'm obviously on my computer now and I need to pull up the list um, <laughs> yeah. so that I can like refresh my memory. Cause I sent it to you a couple of days ago now. Um, but it was really like, I was like, yeah, I can do this for you easy. Uh, and then I started putting the songs in a list and there was something <laughs> in, in me that kind of went, um, there's, there's actually a difference between artists, like favorite artists and favorite songs. Um, like there's a couple of artists that, um, you know, all of their songs would be favorite songs, but I feel like I put one song on that list as a token of their whole <laughs> back catalog, if that makes sense. But then there are some songs that are favorite songs from an artist, um, but you would never listen to the rest of their catalog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or it don't is. quite gel with it or whatever. So it's like favorite artist and favorite song. Um, I, I thought that they would be quite easily interchangeable. Uh, but from experience, I can tell you that they're not. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a few people come on and just kind of be like, it really made me question how I view this artist in my own listening library or, or whatever it may be. Mm, mm. One artist I did want to speak about that we, we've already mentioned a few times uh, that you included on there is Billy Joel. Obviously, I feel like you might know his back catalogue quite well, a, a big fan. You've picked the ballad of Billy the Kid. Yeah. Why did this song, out of it, like the man has an incredible back catalogue. I um, know, I know. Moving out, Anthony song, uh, you know. Great like, question. Man, what made this so one stand I, out? I actually have a playlist uh, of Billy Joel songs that I don't know how to play. And that <laughs> playlist is the list of my favorite Billy Joel songs, if I'm honest, um, because everything else that I do know how to play, I've played hundreds of times and they're the ones that I actually don't want to listen to um, because <laughs> they're so worn out. They're so burnt out. Um, and, you know, because those songs now are associated with playing a, a show live and uh, all the anxiety that comes with either putting on a show or joining a crew, there's like now there are lots of memories also attached to 
um, those songs that I play in, in my show. So, um, the song that I put on there, yeah, the ballad of Billy, the kid, one of the reasons I put that on there is because it's kind of like, I don't know how to play it. So I appreciate it more. Um, and, uh, it's just one of those songs. It's kind of one of his, like, I think it's six minutes, maybe. Um, it's not as long as scenes from an Italian restaurant, but it still has that, um, that multiple, um, section, multiple energy, multiple parts to the song um, that makes it this really engaging story-like um, musical theatre, larger-than-life production. Um, and uh, I just, I don't know, I just really enjoy listening to it. And there are a lot of other songs that would fit that criteria, but I was like, I can't not put a Billy Joel song on this playlist, <laughs> but I don't really want to put on one that I play all the time. Uh, because I'm just so like done to death with it. Um, but obviously Billy Joel is, is a huge influence. I can't deny that. Um, but I kind of, I I love listening to, they're not necessarily B-sides. I guess for me, they're B-sides because everything else is the stuff that I do, um, normally, but, uh, yeah, I love those, those like non-major songs or the ones that I don't know how to play. What are they called? Like the deeper cuts, if you will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, they're not deeper cuts, let's be honest, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, to me, they're, to me, they're deeper cuts. Totally. Yeah. It, it, look, in terms of actual classification might not be, but in your mind, yeah. Deeper cuts. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. They're Liam Cooper's B-sides. <laughs> <laughs> um, another track I wanted to talk about, uh, was Thirsty Merc when the weather is fine. Oh, such a banger. Great song, great song. I think my favourite Thirsty Merc song. It's like gorgeous um, ballad but without uh, being too ballady. It's a ballad in the mm. sense of a Thirsty Merc kind of song and I know that mm-hmm. um, Sean Kerry worked from Thirsty Merc worked on the EP with mm. you. I guess firstly, what is that song like? Uh, sorry, what was that experience like? But then secondly, what was it about this song out of all of their songs Uh that you made you pick it? Um, okay. So, um, first part of the question, um, what was working with Sean? Like, I guess it like, it was a huge fangirl moment first when we met, cause even in his studio at church street studios in Sydney, um, he's got a couple of, um, album plaques on the wall of, um, Thirsty Merck's work. And so that's really exciting. And, uh, Thirsty Merck was really big when I was in, in high school, you know, when they had 20 good reasons and, um, that the kind of earlier stuff. And so I was going to shows um, with like my dad to see Thirsty Merc and it probably would have been Sean playing guitar on those stages. Um, and so, you know, that's, that was really huge. Um, but then I think what like working together, um, uh, like Sean played guitar in Thirsty Merc a long time ago now and he actually, I don't know when he left Thirsty Merc, um, but it was a little while ago now. So um, it wasn't like, it wasn't something that, I don't know, frequently came into conversation or we talked about lots or, you know, I brought up heaps or had a fangirl moment every time we had a session. Like it was kind of just, you know, it was what it was. Of course, it might be weird if it was. Yeah, totally, totally right. So I think the thing that that we both gelled on um, and you can hear this, I think, throughout the EP is that there's a lot of that like, um, early 2000s pop rock inspiration, um, like your Thirsty Merc, uh, your One Republic, um, Keen, Snow Patrol, um, all those kind of artists, like especially in Another Lonely Night, this this latest single. Um, 
is very inspired by all of that. So I think the the greatest thing was that we both had this understanding and appreciation of a of an early two thousands radio friendly pop rock banger, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and so it was really nice to have that that's like that alignment um, between us in terms of his background in Thirsty Merc doing just that, and my desire to create something that sounded similar to that, but with a, a you know a modern fresh twist, um, and for us to be able to pull that together. So that was great working um, with Sean on on this track and obviously um, all the songs on the EP. Um, and then the second question about um, why this song, I think again, like. Um, going through high school and, and fresh out of high school, like I was learning and playing a lot of these songs. Um, so it was one that I probably didn't play as frequent as the others um, and just probably have more of an appreciation of. Like I love that um, I love that it's a really simple ballad. The melodies and the chord structure in this song are just beautiful and every time you hear it, um, even the, the production on it, the recording of it, that pian- like the piano in this song, that first chord, <laughs> you just get this like flood of warmth, uh, the warm and fuzzies come over you. Like, I don't know what piano that was that they played, where they recorded it, how they mic'd it up, but whatever it was, um, it just sounds so kind of natural and beautiful and, um, like home almost. Um, but yeah, I mean, so much respect for Ray and his songwriting and everything that he's done with that group. Um, but yeah, just another track out of their whole back catalog that I love listening to. It is a very good song. It is a beautiful song and um, very warm song. It's a very good use, use of words. Mm. Um, mm. Last one I wanted to chat about was Maggie Rogers' Light On. Which Maggie. Is just great, oh, great song. I love her. I love, love, love <laughs> Maggie. I'd love to meet her. Um, she, I don't know what your question is. I'm just going to start talking about Maggie. Yeah, um, <laughs> someone um, tagged me. So you know how she she went viral in that video um, where she's showing um, Pharrell her track, Alaska, I think while she might still be in college maybe. Um, and so that went viral ages ago. And I've I kind of like you know how you claim like I knew her back when (laughs) like I saw that viral video, like it wasn't triple J. It wasn't anything else. It was like, I've been a fan for ages. Um, so anyway, anyway, um, love Maggie, love everything that she's done. Uh, my wife, Amy and I went to see her live at Metro theater. I think it was, I can't remember whether we've seen her once or twice. Um, anyway, it's definitely been, I think it might just be once. Um, but anyway, so she was amazing live. Uh, and that was like, I don't know, three or four years ago or something that that she was out here. Um, but yeah, love Maggie again. It was kind of like that whole song versus album or song versus artist conversation we were having earlier. Um, like I could have put her whole album or her whole EP on on this playlist. Um, every one of them, um, (laughs) is such a great, tune it's not one of the like the album that she put out it's not one of those albums where you're like i'll skip this song and i'll skip this song and i'll skip this song it's like every song is like yes this one yes this one yes this one so um yeah it was like light on is kind of just a representation of maggie's entire back catalog that's very fair i have to agree that um that whole record every time i think because i um to kind of reference another song that you put on the place, I won't have any questions, but you put Vultures, which is a great John Mayer track off Continuum. And that album is like 
90% perfect to me. There's one or two tracks near the end that I'm like, I could skip. The first 70% is pretty good. In repair, uh, not so much. Um, but that Maggie Rogers album, it is. You kind of, you listen to it and every time I'm like, oh, I think there's one I want to skip. You get to like the first 30 seconds, like, oh, no, 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 no. And then before you know it, yeah. you are, you're at the end, you've heard, you know, Falling Water, Say It, whatever else. And then it, it is, it's a flawless record. Totally, totally. And just for the record, Vultures was exactly the same um, <clears throat> song versus artist um, issue where I'm so familiar with a lot of John Mayer's albums and even the like more recent stuff that's coming out now. Even that track that he released the other week that's so like um, Toto's <laughs> Africa um, meets, I don't know, early 2000s John Mayer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just like it's such a vibe. I'm very much looking forward to that record, but I won't. Mm. I can, we can have, a, a, we'll stop the recording because we could have a conversation <laughs> for a few hours on that. <laughs> totally. Lee, thank you very much uh, for your time today and uh, congratulations again on the new single. Um, and we do look forward to the EP coming out. You're so welcome, Simon. Thank you so much for having me on this show. I really appreciate it. our show a massive thank you to liam for his time both another lonely night and out of the blue are out now and we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to stream liam's music you can find a link to our spotify playlist in the show notes where you'll be able to listen to all of liam's picks if you like this show please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released we release new shows each thursday and friday morning with guest playlists streaming on spotify at the same time You can follow the playlist profile on Spotify. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Until next week, cheers. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.